Chapter 20, Part 2 of Struggles and Triumphs, or Forty Years' Recollections of P.T. Barnum. Written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. Struggles and Triumphs of P.T. Barnum, Chapter 20, Incidents of the Tour, Part 2. In the party which accompanied me to Havana was Mr. Henry Bennett, who formerly kept Peel's Museum in New York, afterwards managing the same establishment for me when I purchased it, and he was now with me in the capacity of a ticket-taker. He was as honest a man as ever lived, and a good deal of a wag. I remember his going through the market once and running across a decayed actor who was reduced to attending a market stand. Bennett hailed him with, Hello, what are you doing here? What are you keeping that old turkey for? Oh, for a profit, replied the actor. Profit, profit, exclaimed Bennett. Patriarch, you mean. With all his waggery, he was subject at times to moods of the deepest despondency, bordering on insanity. Madness ran in his family. His brother, in a fit of frenzy, had blown his brains out. Henry himself had twice attempted his own life while in my employ in New York. Sometime after our present journey to Havana, I sent him to London. He conducted my business precisely as I directed, writing up his account with me correctly to a penny, then handing it to a mutual friend with directions to give it to me when I arrived in London the following week, he went to his lodgings and committed suicide. While we were in Havana, Bennett was so despondent at times that we were obliged to watch him carefully, lest he should do some damage to himself or others. When we left Havana for New Orleans, on board the steamer Falcon, Mr. James Gordon Bennett, editor of the New York Herald, and his wife were also passengers. After permitting one favorable notice in his paper, Bennett had turned around, as usual, and had abused Jenny Lynn and bitterly attacked me. There was an estrangement, no new thing, between the editor and myself. The Herald, in its desire to excite attention, has a habit of attacking public men, and I had not escaped. I was always glad to get such notices, for they served as inexpensive advertisements to my museum, and brought custom to me free of charge. Ticket-taker Bennett, however, took much to heart, and the attacks of editor Bennett upon Jenny Lynn, and while in New York he threatened to cowhide his namesake, as so many men have actually done in days gone by, but I restrained him. When editor Bennett came on board the Falcon, he had in his arms a small pet monkey belonging to his wife, and the animal was placed in a safe place on the forward deck. When Henry Bennett saw the editor, he said to a bystander, I would willingly be drowned if I could see that old scoundrel go to the bottom of the sea. Several of our party overheard the remark, and I turned laughingly to Bennett and said, Nonsense! He can't harm anyone, and there is an old proverb about the impossibility of drowning those who are born to another fate. That very night, however, as I stood near the cabin door, conversing with my treasurer and other members of my company, Henry Bennett came up to me with a wild air and hoarsely whispered, Old Bennett has gone forward alone in the dark to feed his monkey and d-n him. I am going to throw him overboard. 
we were all startled for we knew the man and he seemed terribly in earnest knowing how most effectively to address him at such times i exclaimed ridiculous you would not do such a thing i swear i will was his savage reply i expostulated with him and several of our party joined me nobody will know it muttered the maniac and i shall be doing the world a favor i endeavored to awaken him to a sense of the crime he contemplated assuring him that it could not possibly benefit any one and that from the fact of the relations existing between the editor and myself i should be the first to be accused of his murder i implored him to go to his stateroom and he finally did so accompanied by some of the gentlemen of our party i took pains to see that he was carefully watched that night and indeed for several days till he became calm again he was a large athletic man quite able to pick up his namesake and drop him overboard the matter was too serious for a joke and we made little mention of it but more than one of my party said then and has said since what i really believe to be true that james gordon bennett would have been drowned that night had it not been for p t barnum this incident has long been known to several of my intimate friends and when mr bennett learns the fact from this volume he may possibly be somewhat mollified over his payment to me fifteen years later of two hundred thousand dollars for the unexpired lease of my museum concerning which some particulars will be given anon in new orleans the wharf was crowded by a great concourse of persons as the steamer falcon approached jenny lind had enjoyed a month of quiet and dreaded the excitement which she must now again encounter mr barnum i am sure i can never get through that crowd said she in despair leave that to me remain quiet for ten minutes and there shall be no crowd here i replied taking my daughter on my arm she threw her veil over her face and we descended the gangway to the dock the crowd pressed around i had beckoned for a carriage before leaving the ship that's barnum i know him called out several persons at the top of their voices open the way if you please for mr barnum and miss lynn cried legrand smith over the railing of the ship the deck of which he had just reached from the wharf don't crowd her if you please gentlemen i exclaimed and by dint of pushing squeezing and coaxing we reached the carriage and drove for the montalba buildings where miss lynn's apartments had been prepared and the whole crowd came following at our heels in a few minutes afterwards jenny and her companion came quietly in a carriage and were in the house before the ruse was discovered in answer to incessant calls she appeared a moment upon the balcony waved her handkerchief received three hearty cheers and the crowd dispersed a poor blind boy residing in the interior of mississippi a flute player and an ardent lover of music visited new orleans expressly to hear jenny lind a subscription had been taken up among his neighbors to defray the expenses this fact coming to the ears of jenny she sent for him played and sang for him gave him many words of joy and comfort took him to her concerts and sent him away considerably richer than he had ever been before a funny incident occurred at new orleans our concerts were given in the st charles theatre then managed by my good friend the late sol smith 
in the open lots near the theatre were exhibitions of mammoth hogs five-footed horses grizzly bears and other animals a gentleman had a son about twelve years old who had a wonderful ear for music he could whistle or sing any tune after hearing it once his father did not know nor care for a single note but so anxious was he to please his son that he paid thirty dollars for two tickets to the concert i like the music better than i expected said he to me the next day but my son was in rapture he was so perfectly enchanted that he scarcely spoke the whole evening and i would on no account disturb his delightful reveries when the concert was finished we came out of the theatre not a word was spoken i knew that my musical prodigy was happy among the clouds and i said nothing i could not help envying him his love of music and considered my thirty dollars as nothing compared to the bliss which it secured to him indeed i was seriously thinking of taking him to the next concert when he spoke we were just passing the numerous shows upon the vacant lots one of the signs attracted him and he said father let us go in and see the big hog the little scamp i could have horsewhipped him said the father who loving a joke could not help laughing at the ludicrous incident some months afterwards i was relating this story at my own table to several guests among whom was a very matter-of-fact man who had not the faintest conception of humor after the whole party had laughed heartily at the anecdote my matter-of-fact friend gravely asked and was it a very large hog mr barnum i made arrangements with the captain of the splendid steamer magnolia of louisville to take our party as far as cairo the junction of the mississippi and ohio rivers stipulating for sufficient delay in natchez mississippi and in memphis tennessee to give a concert in each place it was no unusual thing for me to charter a steamboat or a special train of cars for our party with such an enterprise as that time and comfort were paramount to money the time on board the steamer was whiled away in reading viewing the scenery of the mississippi and other diversions one day we had a pleasant musical festival in the ladies salon for the gratification of the passengers at which jenny volunteered to sing without ceremony it seemed to us she never sang so sweetly before i also did my best to amuse my fellow passengers with anecdotes and the exhibition of sundry legerdemain tricks which i had been obliged to learn and use in the south years before and under far different circumstances than those which attended the performance now among other tricks i caused a quarter of a dollar to disappear so mysteriously from beneath a card that the mulatto barber on board came to the conclusion that i was in league with the devil the next morning i seated myself for the operation of shaving and the colored gentleman ventured to dip into the mystery beg pardon mr barnum but i have heard a great deal about you and i saw more than i wanted to see last night is it true that you have sold yourself to the devil so that you can do what you've a mind to oh yes was my reply that is the bargain between us how long did you agree for was the question next in order only nine years said i i have had three of them already before the other six are out i shall find a way to nonplus the old gentleman and i have told him so to his face 
At this avowal, a larger space of white than usual was seen in the darkey's eyes, and he inquired, Is it by this bargain that you get so much money? Certainly, no matter who has money, nor where he keeps it, in his box or till, or anywhere about him, I have only to speak the words, and it comes. The shaving was completed in silence, but thought had been busy in the barber's mind, and he embraced the speediest opportunity to transfer his bag of coin to the iron safe in charge of the clerk. The movement did not escape me, and immediately a joke was afoot. I had barely time to make two or three details of arrangement with the clerk and resume my seat in the cabin, ere the barber sought a second interview, bent on testing the alleged powers of Beelzebub's colleague. "'Beg pardon, Mr. Barnum, but where is my money? Can you get it?' "'I do not want your money,' was the quiet answer. "'It is safe.' "'Yes, I know it is safe. Ha-ha! It is in the iron safe in the clerk's office. Safe enough from you.' "'It is not in the iron safe,' said I. This was said so quietly, yet positively, that the colored gentleman ran to the office and inquired if all was safe. "'All right,' said the clerk. "'Open and let me see,' replied the barber. The safe was unlocked, and lo, the money was gone. In mystified terror, the loser applied to me for relief. "'You will find the bag in your drawer,' said I. And there it was found. Of course, I had a confederate, but the mystification of the mulatto was immense. End of chapter 20 Part 2 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona